Hello and thank you for joining me on episode number 23 of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Mary Glasgow, who is the Chief Executive of Children First. And she has a great conversation. She's such a wise woman and I've I've known that for a couple of years. But she talks about the whole prospect of the world keeping on spinning and having that that place of hope, that spirit of optimism, that sense that Mary really does believe she's a lucky person. And that doesn't take away from the fact she's had hard times in her life, but she can always find a way to come through those struggles. And it's just a wonderful conversation and also reflects on how can we possibly expect and what advice do you give to families during the pandemic and how we come out the other end of this too. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Mary. She has been on my radio show before, which we refer to. That was episode number 74 and it was on 28th of October 2021. So not so far to scroll back. If you do want to listen to that, head over to Mixcloud, search Anne Hughes Ignite and have a wee listen. But let's enjoy this conversation first. Today on What Do You Know For Sure, I'm delighted to have Mary Glasgow. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I know. And we've we've spoke before because you have been on the radio show. We've just realised it was over a year ago in October 2019. So you have answered this once before. But first of all, tell us a wee bit about you, Mary. Well, where will I start? Um, Mary Glasgow. And I live in Glasgow, but I'm originally from Edinburgh. But I've now lived in Glasgow for more years than I ever did in Edinburgh. So although I love both cities, I kind of feel like an adopted Ouija. Yeah. I think like I'm more like a Glaswegian than a, an Edinburgh person now, although I do love Edinburgh. I live with my husband and I've got one gorgeous um, and delightful 16-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And I'm also the Chief Executive of Children First, which is Scotland's National Children's Charity. And I lead a fantastic team of colleagues and volunteers and we support children and families right across Scotland really to keep children safe and well and and loved within their own families and communities so we offer a whole bunch of support emotional support practical support and financial support to parents and to children to help them stay safe but also recover from some of the difficulties or traumas that they've had in life so I guess that's a really important part of me because I've spent, I've just worked this out actually, um, I've spent 30 years in this line of work. I qualified as a social worker 30 years ago, so I've spent 30 years totally privileged in my life working with amazing children and families mm-hmm. and getting a real insight into the the power and the spirit of humans mm. and particularly the courage of children. Yep. So I feel, you know, I'm one of the world's lucky folk. I I get to do a job that I care deeply about, that I love. I work with fantastic colleagues and it's, it's a funny one because I'm not really that different at work than I am at home. Mm. Um, you know, what, what matters to me in life matters to me at work. Yep. And it is just stuff like relationships being decent, making a contribution, seeing if you can make a difference, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So, again, I think, you know, just dead lucky, probably, um, even in this horrible situation of pandemic, recognise every day just how lucky 
I am to have kind of safety and security, a roof over my head, people that I love that are safe and an ability to do a job that I really care deeply about. Wonderful, wonderful. And it's such a wonderful cause, as you know, it's very close to my heart as well. I'm on the board of Children First and uh, that's how I know Mary. But tell me, Mary, sitting here now, we're in January 2021, what do you know for sure? It's such a good question. I I, I was thinking about it earlier today. I wear a ring on my finger, this this Mm -hmm. ring here, I don't know if you see it, but engraved on this ring is a phrase and it's the world keeps spinning. Mm. And it's got, it's just a silver ring, but it's got a little hoop around it that keeps, that turns around with a little star on it. So it says the world keeps on spinning. And I've had this ring for years. And I guess what I know for sure is that, that the world does keep spinning Mm -hmm. and turning. And that good times and difficult times come and go and they pass. And I guess one of the things that, helps me personally but also I think I've probably passed on a lot of folk who've had struggles in their lives is that that things do keep moving forward and things will change and pain will pass and things are you can recover from things you can I'm really I'm really recovery focused I really like to think when we're working with people that have had a really hard time that one of the strongest message we can give people is about hope hope for recovery and that notion of moving forward Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I know for sure that this, even this horrible time that we'll in, we're in, it's going to come to an end, mm-hmm. and that helps me maintain a kind of mo- a forward motion, if you like, a spirit of optimism, a bit of hope. Um, and in the midst of that, not only does the world keep spinning, but we can make a contribution to how where that world ends up mm-hmm. and what shape it's in. So I guess that that's really helped me. I've never taken this. Sometimes I change my rings, but I've never taken this ring off this whole year. And when I'm, I've noticed that when I'm a bit anxious about lockdown, when I'm yeah. sad that I'm not seeing my sister, or I'm anxious about my father-in-law who's in a care home, or I'm watching the news and I'm so distressed by the horrible stories about people losing their life and I hear the stories about the children that we support dealing with no learning or losing contact with their friends or worse living in circumstances that are you know difficult and traumatic I find myself spinning this three silver Mm. hoop around this ring and and almost in a way to get a bit of self-regulation and calm and then I look at that phrase and think this too will pass and I think it's really important when you when you feel a bit out of control, when you feel that yeah. things aren't very good, to remember that notion that things move forward mm-hmm. and we've all got an opportunity to contribute to what moving forward looks like. And is that something, that whole notion of things move forward, this too shall pass, you know, it keeps on spinning, is that a new notion for you? Is that something you've had in recent years? Or is it something you think you've, I think it's probably a level of optimism really, isn't it? Yeah resilience I would say but has that carried through your whole life do you think or can you think of a defining moment when you realise that I think I don't I think I was incredibly fortunate that I I lived with two parents who both actually I think I mentioned this before both my mum and dad were incredibly optimistic people (laughs) but neither of them came from any privilege um, so they'd had really hard times. My, my, my dad, for instance, was one of 13 children, the eldest of 13 children, huge amounts of um, 
challenge in, in his family life and relationships. My mum was an only child who lived in, who was brought up by very elderly and, and, and a very ill mum actually in Dublin, in Ireland. And then she, after a real loss, came to Scotland on her own, never knew anybody, met my dad. They had seven children. Um, one, of, one of my sisters had a, has a learning disability. We grew up in a big council scheme in Edinburgh. There wasn't a lot of money around, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but unbelievably... Um, they were the most optimistic folk in the world. And, you know, at my dad's funeral, um, the, 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 we talked, he died of cancer. And in the last few months of his life, he died at home and I spent a lot of time with him. We looked after him at home. I used to drive him back and forward to chemotherapy, to radiotherapy um, sessions. And when we were talking about dying, uh, I remember my wee, t- my wee 10-year-old then said to him, Grandad, are you scared to die? And my dad laughed and said, no, I'm not scared to die and I just don't want to be there when it happens, <laughs> and laughed. And then we started talking, that allowed an, an opportunity to talk about what kind of death and then also what kind of funeral. And one of the things that he was really keen was that um, Count Your Blessings by Joseph Locke was played at his funeral. Mm-hmm. And to me, that sums my dad up. But when he was 86, he'd had a fantastic, as he saw it, long life. He'd had seven children he adored and a, a, a marriage that had brought him a lot of joy and love. And actually, that's that that meant that, you know, that's what he said, I, I count my blessings. And he loved music. Um, and I just think I was incredibly lucky. So I lived, I lived with folk who were optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had really hard times. I remember my dad in the 80s losing his job and my mum pressing her hands down on a twin tub washing machine with tears streaming down their face and me as a wee girl knowing that something was wrong. And and my mum, uh, you know, saying, saying what happened and said that she was sad, but saying, but tomorrow it will be OK, I'll get another job. <laughs> they just moved forward all the time and thought about it. So I think I don't think I realised that until I was in my teens, um, and then I did sort of think I'm a. Luck- I remember I remember having a notion of being a lucky person. Mm-hmm. I knew that we were lucky. I don't think I don't know why nothing nothing extraordinary happened, but I knew I had this innate sense of luck. Um, and I actually now know what that was about. I was incredibly lucky to have a safe, secure, loving family home with enough. Not a lot, but enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I but when I was older and we did have I did have some difficult times and losses of my own. I think it definitely came to the forefront. I thought I'm going to be okay. This is going to be all right. Mm. We'll be okay. Now, part of that's no by some. You know, sometimes it's because the universe delivers, but it's often because you know you work hard and you shape it, and yeah. and when you're focused on that notion that being human is to be forward thinking and to want to improve things and to be curious about what it means to be human and to get to know yourself all of those things I think have really helped me crystallize that and so when I'm in despair or anxious or waking up at four o'clock in the morning as I do often worried about work or worried about family members or worried about the children that we support by the end of the worrying period, I know I always take a deep breath and go, but see in the morning, I'm going to get, I'm going to, my mum used to say constantly, sometimes girls, you've just got to walk into trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a bit about walking in towards trouble and sort of beginning to resolve things. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as it sometimes feels easier to avoid, and I would be avoidant, I have learned to walk towards trouble because what I've learned is that I've got some skills that means I could I can sort some stuff. I can make it a bit better. I can take control over it. Mm-hmm. And do you? I, I really I'm so with you on that walk towards trouble. And I've never had, heard anybody 
articulate it the way you just did. But I love that your mum said that. Sometimes, girls, you just need to walk towards trouble because that's certainly something that me and my sisters are probably would always do. We would walk towards trouble because why not? Something needs to be helped, needs to be done. Let's go and just do it. Let's not be a, yeah. a bystander in that. But if we go back to the optimism thing, do you think that obviously it's just been in you and fed into you since you were a kid? But do you feel as if optimism is a choice that anybody at this point could decide to make? I wish it were that simple. Mm. Um, I, I think if I think about um, the luxury that I had of security and safety, and now stuff happened to me. Um, you know, when I was when I was three years old, me and my wee sister were placed in foster care for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I've had this charmed life with no traumas, but I but I went there for a reason that was because my mum was unwell and my dad had other five other reins and a job to keep. Um, and I was there for six months and I never saw my mum. And I was re- with my wee sister, but but I was lucky enough with, that my mum brought us home and she told us a great story that helped us make sense of it. So I never felt I was to blame yeah. and I never had shame or guilt about it. So I don't think it's as easy as choosing to be be optimistic. I think I was incredibly lucky in that I avoided complex traumas. Mm -hmm. I avoided, avoided, you know, real danger in my life. Mm -hmm. I think for many of the children that we support, for many of the adults that we work alongside at Children First, they have experienced unimaginable traumas. Um, And I, you know, it's that, it's that, guy that talked about standing I think it was a priest in in the states used a phrase which was that we should stand in awe at what the poor have to carry rather than judge them or something like that I look at the children we support and the parents that we support and I think my god how have you survived that and they may not come across always as the most optimistic folk but I think what we do with them when we get into relationships with them is almost point it out to them say you know they they look at what you've done you've survived you're still going you're doing your best for your own children you're in a relationship with us because you want to make things better for your whole family and that's something that you should be proud of so what you see is optimism grow yeah so I don't think you can necessarily do that on your own. No. But I think I think like everything, it can grow in relationships and safety and respect and love and kindness. And we can definitely, there's definitely a brilliant turning point in families that you see when that optimism about a brighter, hope, more hopeful future happens. Yeah. You can you can see the magic. You can see the moment that happens. And that's when we can say, you know what, you're doing fine. Yeah. You, you don't need us anymore. Uh-huh. So I, w- I suppose I would say, not maybe not choose it, but you can definitely grow it yeah. if you get the right relationships around you. Grow it. I think that's a lovely way to put it. And we're sitting here and we're obviously in January and the homeschooling is well underway. And I was reflecting to you before we started recording that, you know, me and my husband, we've got our three kids. We're trying to do the homeschooling as best we can, but we've got a lot around us. You know, we've been married for 20 years in a couple of weeks we've got money in the bank, we've got the heating on, we've got food in the cupboard, we understand how to how to use technology and all the rest of it. And actually, how can some people do it was my reflection to you. Because if I only had a phone that three kids were trying to share, <laughs> how can you be optimistic in that? And it's something that I do feel really passionate about. They keep, as if we're all in this together, we are not in anything together. And that's not just this pandemic, that is everything. 
you know, kids don't, my kids don't have the same chances at school as other kids. They just don't because I, I grew up with people that didn't have the same chances as me because education wasn't important to their parents. So, I mean, what's your, I suppose, comment on that just now as we sit in this pandemic with homeschooling being such a a big thing just now, trying to actually educate kids and they learn new things at home with parents who are not teachers, who maybe don't have the the greatest education level themselves. How do we get out the other side of that, given all your optimism? How do you see that the world can move back into something that isn't so traumatic for our children? I think it's one of the most important things that we need to do. We need to really think carefully about what this takes. And I mean, I, I sit here as a, a massive failure as a home, in, in the home learning front, to be honest, because I'm working full time. My um, my child's education, I mean, I look at the stuff that they do and I think I'm clueless. I left school in 1986. It's so different. I guess where I sit with it is... If we can, personally, and my dreams and hopes for other children are, if we can all get through this with our relationships intact, Mm -hmm. with our emotional well-being intact, I think we can recover the learning, but I'm not so sure that we can recover without huge effort that notion of safety and well-being and optimism and hope for children. When I hear children say, well, what's the point? What's the point? I'll never get a job. I'll never be able to go to university. There's not going to be any of this or, you know, I can't travel anyway. When I hear young people say, what's the point? I think we need to pay attention to this. So my plea, you know, and and one of the things that we're going to strive for at Children First is that there's an absolute commitment from everybody in the country to recognise that this has had a huge impact on everybody, but children will pay a huge price. And when children pay a price, we all pay a price. So we need to really think about how do we help families repair and recover relationships emotional well-being and learning in the long term so we're going to have to do things differently I don't think we should think about schools as places just to teach children to read or write Mm -hmm. we should think about schools as places where families also get informal support and formal support to talk about their worries to get access to services like ours where children are at school and they're expressing some of their pain and their distress and they shouldn't have to go through, jump through hoops to get somebody to talk to. We should have services that are right there, easily accessible, that by right are offered to all children and their families. I mean, you know this, and my mantra is see when the grown-ups are all right, see when teachers are calm and, and okay and parents are okay, children are fine. But right now, children are living with really anxious teachers, they're living with anxious parents, they're watching anxiety in the news, they're not able to escape it. And we're all, all children, not just the, you know, the really disadvantaged children that we support, but most children are going to need opportunities to talk about what this has felt like, to share their feelings about it and their losses about it, and to get support emotionally to recover from it. And if we don't, my worry is... If we only focus on schooling and learning and education as being the price they've paid, we're going to make a, just such a heartbreaking mistake mm. because children don't learn when their brains are not feeling safe 
And right now what's happened has been a trauma that means that none of us really feel safe. Nothing's predictable. We're not in control of the decisions that we're making. We know that there's this risk and danger out there and we've got to pay attention to that emotional recovery before we think, I think, about the educational recovery. Yeah, thank I mean, that's just so wise. I'm so glad that you're in Children First and that you can see all that and you'll be listened to, hopefully, to the people that are making the decisions, Mary. Because oh, so, it all makes so much sense when you say it, but I hadn't really thought about it before you said it, you know. So. You know, it's funny because where it comes from, you know, these aren't my wisdoms, actually. This is the stuff that children tell us. Yeah. This is what I'm reflecting here is the stuff that kids see. Yeah. You know, the things that the parents we support tell us they're most worried about. And they're most worried about money. They're most worried about relationships. And they're most worried, worried about their children's well-being. So we've got lots and lots of parents contacting us saying, my 12-year-old is so distressed that they're staying in their room and they're self-harming and I can't reach them. Um, their worry isn't about whether or not they're keeping up to date with their English and maths. Their worry is about, are they going to be okay? And, and how can I help? If, if anyone listened to that, if we're all really honest and if I'm really honest, sitting in my, my comfortable life, then that, that's what I'm worried about, especially with yeah, my teenage girls. I'm worried about what's going on behind that door in their wee heads. Yeah. Just, I'm not really yeah. worried about whether or not she did her maths homework, if I'm honest. And, and I think we all just get to own that, mission. don't we? We need yeah. to own that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's the most important thing. And I think some some schools have done that and coped with that brilliantly. Um, so, you know, some schools' teachers have been fantastic at phone and folk go, don't really worry about that, just concentrate on having fun, you know, go out and have a snow day when the snow is, and there's learning to be had on a sledge, there's learning to be had having a chat with a dog walk, there's learning to be had in all sorts of ways, but the biggest thing that we need to, to help children to learn is to be regulated, to be able to calm themselves, but also to be able to express their concerns. We have a we have a wee phrase at, um, at Children First, which is about if you can name and say your, your your worries out loud, you've shared them and you'll already begin to feel better. Yeah. Helping children being able to articulate their fears is an incredibly important thing. And if parents, if we can do that right now, it would be amazing. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Mary. I knew this was going to be fantastic anyway. Complete pleasure, Anne. Lovely to be with you. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you. And I'll put the link to Children First website (laughs) in the description. Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching Anne Hughes Ignite. If I refer to my radio show and the podcast, you can catch those on my Mixcloud. Again, just searching Anne Hughes Ignite. And if you or anybody you know want to answer this question with me, please do get in touch. Just go onto my website, annehughesignite.co.uk and fill in the contact page at the bottom and I'll be delighted to have this conversation with you too. Thank you.